preaching Father's Day and Mother's Day sermons have always been a little bit difficult uh, for me, simply because Mother and Mother's Day and Father's Day mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, some folks have lost their mothers and fathers to death or disease, while others might have been abandoned by their mothers and fathers or abused by their mothers and fathers. And on the flip side, sometimes parents and grandparents on Mother's Day or Father's Day, it, it might be a depression time for some of you because maybe you don't get to see your kids or your grandkids the way you would like to, or maybe your kids and your grandkids are living a lifestyle that's in opposition to your faith and that brings you sadness. And another difficulty of preaching Mother's Day and Father's Day sermons is finding suitable preaching material. Now, I don't mean, and don't get me wrong, the Bible's chock full of mothers and fathers and kids and husbands and wives in the home. But here's the problem. Let's say it's Mother's Day. And let's say that I decide I want to preach out of Proverbs 31. Probably 75% of Mother's Day sermons are preached out of Proverbs 31. The qualities of a virtuous woman. What is a virtuous woman? I preached that text one time. And after I got done, a couple of the ladies said... Uh, Thanks a lot, I'll never measure up to that. That's almost a perfect woman. And so preaching that message was, was discouraging to them. Or maybe it's Father's Day, and I almost preach a message today, the, the father of the prodigal son, which is a good sermon. But when you think about it, the father of the prodigal sons, who? God, right? So if you ladies think you have a hard time meeting the qualities of the virtuous woman, Try meeting the qualities of God and see how that stands up. So that's a little bit of a challenge. So I didn't go that way. So before I jump into the text I, the Holy Spirit did lay on my heart, I want to try to offer some encouragement to, to some of you all who might be a little discouraged on Father's Day. If you find yourself without your father, maybe your father has passed on, maybe your father wasn't the kind of father he should be, Maybe uh, Father may have even abandoned you or, or, or whatever. There's a scripture I want you to take heart. Psalm chapter 68 and verse 5. That's not going to be our text today, but I want to read this psalm to you this morning. Psalm 68 and verse 5. It says there, the psalmist tells us, that God is a, look at the first phrase, a fatherless, a father of the fatherless, and a defender of widows. God is our father. No matter what kind of earthly father you may or may not have had, understand, Christian child, if you belong to the Lord, you have a father. You have the father, the ultimate father, and that should give us encouragement and, and that should give us strength. But for this morning's text, if you will take the book of Psalms and go over to Psalm chapter 127, Psalm 127. We're going to look at Psalm 127 and 128. They're uh, two very short psalms, both five verses each. Both of them are in the section of psalms that are known as the Psalm 
Psalms of Ascent. And understand that the Psalms were written, uh, they are a collection of psalm books. I know our Baptist hymnals are old, but they don't go back to first century times uh, and even pre-first century times. The Psalms were the Baptist hymnal for the Jewish race. This was their collection of psalm books. And we all know that the Old Testament folks went up to Jerusalem three times a year to the feasts, and Jerusalem sits on a high, a high mountain. It's higher than the rest of the land all around it. And so when the Jews would go up toward uh, Jerusalem as they were ascending, Toward Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms of ascent. Uh, this is an excellent way to memorize scripture, but it's also a way just to sing scripture. I, I think we would do well as I wish some writers, hymn writers, would take some scriptures and do a little more of, of writing songs just where we can sing scripture because singing scripture is a wonderful way to worship God, and that's what these psalms are. So let's read Psalm 127. Notice that it says that this psalm was written by Solomon. So this was given to us by King Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And then Psalm 128 is another song of ascent. Uh, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but it kind of continues that same thought. As Psalm 127, Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. May you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So as we think about Father's Day and for fathers and grandfathers out there, and all of us, let's see what we can learn from these two psalms. First of all, and I've got a little handout that I put in this week's bulletin if you want to follow along with us, but... Let God build your house. Let God build your house. That's verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Who build it. Far too many people, Christians included, are letting culture build their homes instead of letting God build their homes. We're taking our Cues. We're taking our advice from secular books. We're taking our cues and our advice from secular psychologists and educators. And we're letting them build our homes instead of letting God build our homes. Do we realize that outside of creation of the universe, the home is God's oldest design? 
The home has been around longer than any other organization in the world. God designed it, and did you, did you know he left us the blueprint? Keep, your, uh, keep Psalm 127 marked and go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is a scripture that's read quite often at weddings. Uh, we, we know this scripture pretty well. Genesis chapter uh, 2 and about verse uh, 21, we're going to start reading for context's sake. Genesis 2 verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Now watch verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. With this verse, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 God has ordained the home. God also gives us his design for the home. Verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2 says that God's plan for the home is one man, one woman. That's how God constitutes marriage. That's how God constitutes a coupling together. That's God's design for the home, no matter what culture might say. Culture teaches differently. Culture says it doesn't matter. Culture says it's not important. God says that the home is one man and one woman. That's God's plan. That's his design. Let God build the home. If we let God build our homes, our home will be better. Amen? Amen. But not only that verse. Look back a chapter to chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Never in my wildest imagination when I started preaching did I ever think I would have to make this point in a sermon. But look at what Genesis 1.27 tells us. It says that God created male and female. There are only two genders. God only created two genders, male and female. No matter what culture says. Culture says differently. Culture has everybody confused. Culture has everybody tore up. Well, I, I, I'm a male, but I identify as a woman. I'm a, I'm a woman, I identify as a male. I'm not sure what I am. We are to love everybody, and God loves everybody. I want to set that up and straight up and say that before I go any further. But God's design is a man and a woman in marriage. And God's design is male and female. That's the way that God created. I recognize that there are some men who aren't big, burly men. And I understand there are some women who aren't little, dainty Barbie dolls. Right? There are some men that are more feminine than others. There are women that are more masculine than, than other women. God still created male and female, and God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't create. God. Now, now we can confuse ourselves 
We talked about in our Sunday school this morning that uh, you can hear a racket in your house, and if you can't find the source of that racket and you still hear it, your mind starts going in all different kind of directions. Our, our mind can be easily convinced of something. People are messing with this generation's minds. And in our world, we are letting culture build our homes instead of us building our homes. Fathers, grandfathers, let's let God build our homes. One more point, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And when you get there, look at verses 26 and 27. And we will go back to verse 20 for context. Romans 1, 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts became darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, watch verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped the creator rather than the, or the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves a penalty of the error which was due. The God of the universe, the God that gave us, he designed the world. He designed marriage to be male and female. He designed this, or he, he designed the genders to be male and female. God also told us what is natural is for man to have relations with women and women to have relations with men. To do anything different than that is unnatural. I didn't say that, God did. So if folks don't agree with that, they can take it up with, with the one who wrote Romans 1. And I'm not bringing those three things up to be mean or to be hateful. Let me state again, God loves everyone. But God hates the sin. Culture will lead us away from God every time. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, y'all. That's nothing new in the 21st century. This counterculture idea, it's not new. That gets us back when we go back to Psalm 127. It gets back to our second point. Not only should we let God build our homes, we should also let God Guard our homes. You know, as husbands and wives and fathers and grandfathers, we hire an architect to build our homes or a contractor or a builder. We hire a security company to secure our homes. 
We need to be letting God build our homes, and we need to be letting God guard our homes. These two thoughts go hand in hand. This countercultural idea, God's people should be different than culture. We should be going the opposite way as culture. It's nothing new. In the Old Testament, God's people were called to do some different things. Put yourself in the shoes of Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. Could you see, Noah, there you are one day, you're feeding the chickens or whatever, and God comes to you and says, Noah, build an ark. And you say, what's an ark? Right? You don't know what an ark is. Well, it's a boat. There's coming a flood. What's a flood? It hadn't rained yet. So for 120 years, Noah, who he and his family were the only righteous people on earth, according to Genesis, as a reward for their righteousness, Noah, in his front yard, is building this big old ark. Now, a lot of people do different things in their fields. I've seen horses in fields. I've seen cows in fields. I've seen llama in fields. I've seen a bunch of different critters in fields. I have never seen an ark in a field. Nor have I ever seen anyone building an ark. But imagine being in Noah's day. God is calling Noah to go counter to the culture. Noah, the world's going this way. I want you to go that way. For 120 years, Noah built that ark. For 120 years, people laughed at it. How do you get to Bob's General Store? Well, you go down this road. And right where you get to that guy that's building the ark. Oh, I know where that's at. When you get to the ark, turn right. Noah was the laughing stock of his community for 120 years. His family, the culture, thought Noah was crazy until it started raining. God calls us to be different. God calls us to live differently to walk differently, to talk differently. Let God, God, guard our house. God's ways, his plans, they go against society, culture, education. They tell us one thing, God tells us something else. But I've read the book, y'all. I know how it turns out, and I'm going to go with God. I encourage you to let God build your house. Let God guard your house. This psalm tells us that if we as fathers and grandfathers try to build our house or guard our homes outside of the will of God, all of our efforts are going to be in vain. So first let God build your house. Then let God guard your house. Verses 3 through 5, Solomon switches direction and he starts talking about the kids. Well, first of all, I want to go back to verse, at the end of verse uh, 3, or 2 rather. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. I will talk about that last phrase. For so God gives his beloved sleep. He gives them rest. When we let God design and guard our homes, God will give us rest. We can find rest. There are so many hardworking and often well-meaning 
fathers and grandfathers who were workaholics. They worked from sun up to sundown and, and even later, seven days a week. We in this world, in America, here's our mantra. Work hard and play harder. And we go at it. We work and we work and we go and we go and we do and we do. But according to this verse, sometimes the most godly thing, most Christian thing we can do is take a nap. Amen? When someone is a workaholic, when someone minds always going 90 miles an hour, trying to build their house and guard their house, you can't find rest. Even when you lay down, your mind goes mile a minute, doesn't it? Sometimes my, I wish my mind was half as active in the daytime as it gets when I put my head on the pillow sometimes. Amen? But y'all, if we're looking for rest anywhere other than God, you're not going to find True rest. People put rest in their money. I'm going to get enough money so I can be comfortable. Define that. Define comfortable. Because when I made $20,000 a year, I thought I need, if I had $30,000 a year, I'd be comfortable. When I got to $30,000 a year, I said if I could have $40,000, we're never satisfied. And then we get our money... And we're afraid somebody's going to steal it. Somebody's going to take it. Somebody hacked my checking account. Fortunately, our, our bank caught it. But you get your money, and somebody tries to steal it. The housing market crashes. Stock market crashes. We put our rest in our jobs, our security, our position. You might have a really good job right now, but one day... There may be somebody smarter than you and younger than you and more energetic than you and your company will boot you out and somebody else will be working in your job. You can't find rest. How many of us have gotten promoted? And I've, I've been there. I've got the t-shirt. We get promoted to a job we think we want. But I got promoted to general manager of a, of a Captain D's. That's, that's what I thought I wanted. I, I want more than I got it. I thought, what in the world have I done? Because you, you work hard to get your job and get your position, and then you work yourself to death trying to keep it. Amen? It's in God we find rest. It's in God we can find sleep. Only God gives us rest. And the only way he gives us rest is for us to build our homes, to let God guard our homes, let God build our homes, let God be in charge. If God's in charge, you can rest. Amen? If God is on his throne, it says you don't have to find rest. It says God gives his beloved sleep. I love that phrase. But then Solomon switches direction and he, he talks about children in verses 3 through 5. Our children and our grandchildren bring us blessings. Our children and our grandchildren bring us blessings. Children are the cutest thing. Sometimes until they're not, and that same child becomes a demon child, right? <laughs> same kid, different moment. My dad said before he had kids, he had all these theories on how to raise kids. And uh, he said after he had three kids, he has all now he has these kids and doesn't have any theories. Because uh, he said all three of us were different. He said with me, 
I was born premature, so I gave him some health concerns early. But he said, once your health got stabilized, he said, you were a pretty easy child. He said, we could just look at you, and you would do what you should have done. Now, I made up for that when I got older, but I was the good child. And I let my brother and sister know that every opportunity I get. <laughs> my sister, the youngest one, my dad said, we've had to beat her to death. She was the most stubborn, and my brother was somewhere in between us. But the funny thing is, and those of you that have more than one child, you can have different children. They're all different. They come from the same mother, the same father. You raise them the same way. You take them to church, you send them to the same school, you dress them the same way, and they can be as different as night and day. I've got a preacher friend that said when he had his first kid, he was ready to write a book about parenting. He said this kid slept through the night ever since he was born practically, never gave him a lift of trouble. He said he and his wife, we got so excited with the first one, we said let's have another one. He said I'm, writing, he said, I'm ready to write this book about Children, I know how to parent children. He said, after I had my second child, he said, I told my wife, I think I need to go buy a book about how to raise children. Because the second one was totally different. Our children, y'all, are a blessing. And I had this wild, crazy idea that when my daughter get, got grown, I would worry about her less. Yeah, I see a lot of folks laughing and shaking their head. It doesn't work that way, does it? They're always our kids, right? I want to read you a letter that a daughter wrote her parents. This wasn't my daughter, by the way, but it, it was a letter that a daughter wrote her parents. Dear Mom and Dad, it's now been three months since I left for college. I've been remiss in writing you both, and I'm very sorry for the thoughtlessness in not having done so. So I'll bring you up to date now, but before you read on, please sit down. Don't read any further unless you're sitting down. Okay? Well, I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out of the window of my dormitory when it caught fire recently are pretty well healed by now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital, and now I can see almost normally, and I only get those sick headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dormitory and my jump were witnessed by an attendant at the gas station near the dorm, and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me in the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live because of the burnout dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It's really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. He's a very fine boy, and we have fallen deeply in love, and we're planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. <laughs> yes, Mom and Dad, I, I am pregnant. I know how much you're looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you'll welcome the baby and give it the same love and devotion and tender care you gave me when I was a child. I know you'll welcome your future son-in-law into the family with open arms. He is a kind, and although he's not well-educated, he is ambitious. Although he's of a different culture and religion than ours, I know your tolerance will not permit you to be bothered by the language barrier. 
I am sure that you will love him as I do. His family has a good background too. And he has learned ways from his parents to make money without actually working. Now that I've brought you up to date, folks, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory, no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. I am not engaged. And there is no man in my life. However, I am getting a D in history and an F in science, and I wanted you to be able to put those marks in perspective. <laughs> Remember, our children are a blessing. Amen? Solomon tells us here some ways in which our children are a blessing. First of all, in verse 3, he says, Behold, children are a heritage to the Lord. Our children, our grandchildren, are a heritage. We live in the home and with our husband and our wife and our children. We have a legacy that's bigger than we are. We have a heritage. We have the opportunity to build and to make a difference. Not only in our family, but in our family's family down the road. Our children are a heritage. Secondly, the fruit of the womb is a reward according to verse 3. Our children and grandchildren are, are a blessing. Even when you get letters like the one I just read. Even when you have to take middle of the night car rides to get a child to go to sleep. Even when you go to the doctor. Even when you may have to go to the police station. Whatever happens, y'all, kids and grandkids are a blessing. They're given to us from God. Also, verse 4, like the arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Our children and our grandchildren are weapons. Arrow is a weapon. It's a weapon to be used against Satan. Do we realize that there's a war going on between God and Satan? Not only in our lives, but in our children's lives. Until the Lord comes back, that war is going to continue to go on. We need to train our children to be weapons against Satan. We need to train them and teach them to fight the battle in the next generation. Not only that, verse 5, or verse five happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. This is symbolic here, talking about your quiver being full of arrows. Solomon saying, blessed is the person that has many children. God tells us having many children is a blessing. I'm going to say something right here. Our culture today teaches, it says, the last thing you want to do is bring kids into this world. Don't bring kids into this world the way our society is going today. Christian father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, tell your Christian children, now is the precisely the time to bring children into the world. Because God's going to need somebody to stand in the gap in the future. If we don't bring Christian children into the world, what chance does our world have to hear witnesses from Christ? Amen? It's counter, God's ways are countercultural. In a lot of ways and in the minds of the world, it, it doesn't make sense. But it's God's way. The end of verse 5, 
Our children shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Our children can and should influence culture. The gate is where the decision makers of a city stay. That's where the elders, that's where the, chief, the city council would meet in the city. It says here, or in the gates, it says here our children should influence culture. Our children should influence society. If we teach them right and bring them up right, they should. Now, there are only two rules to follow, and that's what Psalm 158 is about. Rule number one, verse one, Psalm 158. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. You know what the two rules are? Fear God and walk in his ways. The idea of fearing God means to respect. It means to show awe, to show fear. Do our kids and grandkids see that in us? Fathers and grandfathers, let me get real with you for just a second. Our kids see us go earn a paycheck. Our kids see us cut our grass. Our kids see us take care of them. They see us take care of their mama. Do our kids see us fear God? Do they see God in our lifestyle? Do we teach our kids that work is important? Education is important. Finding a good Christian mate is important. But God's got to be the center of all of it. And we can say it, but do we show it? Because let me tell you, kids learn what you do faster than what you say. Fear God, walk in His ways. Walking in God's ways has the idea of a field full of briars, blackberry briars, and someone cuts a path. They cut a way through the middle of those path or middle of those briars. The idea of walking in God's way is walking on God's path, because our world's full of blackberry briars. And if you're not walking in God's ways, you're going to have a hard time navigating life. And it's still not going to be easy. We picked that up in 1 Peter last week. We'll pick it up again next week. Walking in God's ways, we're still going to have troubles and issues, but it gives us a path to see where we're going. Do our kids and grandkids see a lifestyle in us where they see us walking in God's ways. And then the psalmist here, and we don't know who wrote this psalm, but this psalmist gives us some more rewards of a happy home and letting, fearing God, walking in his ways, letting God build our home, letting God guard our home. Verse 2, when you, when you fear God, you walk in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, it shall be happy and it shall be well with you. When we walk in God's ways, when we fear God, We'll have enough to eat. We'll be satisfied. The psalmist doesn't say if you fear God and walk in his ways, you'll be rich. He doesn't say if you fear God and walk in his ways, you won't have any trouble. But he does say if you fear God and walk in his ways, you'll, you'll have enough to eat. And you'll be satisfied. Number Verse 3, number text. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Not only if you fear God and walk in his ways will you have enough to eat and be satisfied, 
Husbands, I'm going to give you a little hint here. Scripture here tells us if we walk in God's ways and we fear God, it says our wife will be happy. Y'all heard the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? You want to know the secret to making your wife happy? God tells us it's to fear God walking in his ways. Be the godly husband God's called you to be. And watch a transformation come over your wife. It says that she'll be like a fruitful vine. That carries with it the idea of a vine that's growing up a wall. It'll be a fruitful green vine. Guess who the wall is, husbands? It's us. We should be that wall that lets our wives blossom. Can I tell you a pet peeve of mine? And I'm going to tell you, so I don't know why I'm asking your permission because I'm the guy doing the talking. But one of my pet peeves, and I'm kind of like Paul. This isn't God talking. This is just me. It is one of my pet peeves when I hear husbands and wives. I hear a husband talking about his wife and he calls her my old lady. Or a wife talks to her about her husband and calls him my old man. I'm not saying that that's a sin that God's going to put down in the black mark. But to me that shows very little respect for a husband or a wife. As wives, as husbands rather, we should respect our wives. We should be the kind of husband that make our wives want to be happy. I'm convinced most women want to be happy. I believe most women most women want to sub, be, be submissive to a Christian husband. The problem is not with the women, y'all. For the most part, the problem is with the men. We're not leading the way we ought to lead, and we're not building the wall that we ought to build. So if you want to make your wife happy, you want to get enough to eat, you want to be satisfied, you want to make your wife happy, fear God and walk in his ways. And look what else. Your children will be like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Olive plants grow very, very slowly. They're one of the slower growing trees. But olive plants last up to 800 years. That's why the psalmist makes this comparison, I think. Raising our children is a slow process. Now some people say, well, my child's 18, so I'm not raising them anymore. In, in a sense, we raise our children all of our lives. My mom is still raising me, right? My, uh, my dad's gone. But my mom is still raising me. Cubs, you ain't never going to get out from under the mama bear. Isn't that right, Miss Stephanie? <laughs> Our kids are slow growing. Raising them is a slow process. But a rewarding process. Let your children be like olive trees. Then it says, interestingly, verse 5, The Lord shall bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, you may see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. If we will raise our children, if we'll let God build the house, 
If we will let God guard the house, if we will fear God, if we will walk in his ways, our nation will prosper. You want to see America get stronger? Let's restore the home where the home ought to be. Because as goes the home, so goes the nation. There is a mutiny afoot. And it's been afoot for a while in our education system. Now, for a long, long time, academia has been kind of snobby. Some of those folks that had PhDs and MFBs and LTDs and all the different letters after their names, there's some snobbery that goes along with academia. But there is a plan afoot in academia to turn this nation against God and against God's ways. At first, it was very secret. At first, we didn't know about it. Y'all, teachers today, and by teachers, I don't mean your child's or your grandchild's third grade teacher at Fairview. We've got good Christian teachers in our school systems. I'm talking about the school in general, National Educators Association. They have a plan in place to totally reprogram the kids of our country. And that plan is not to bring our kids into walking God's ways. It's to get with a plan to walk in the way of the culture. And now they are not trying to hide it. Do you know the National Educators Association said that parents should have no say-so whatsoever in what their children are taught in schools? They said it's the school's job, not the parent's job. And when the parents try to go to the schools to object to this, now sometimes the parents get out of hand, and I'm not saying that every parent that, re that, that fights against this is going about it in the right way. But when parents go to the schools, now the National Teachers Association, National Educators Association, they are trying to have parents who go to the school board and say, I don't agree with what you're teaching our children. They're trying to have those parents labeled domestic terrorists. That's in our news. It's being debated in Washington right now. You want to know why domestic terrorists why a terrorism board wanted to, get, wanted to get built? It's not just to deal with the fake news. It's to try to push this agenda. I listened to that coming home on, on talk radio from a state senator Friday. I don't remember what talk radio is, but if you want to find further information about that, you can go to 99.7 WTN. And you can look, and it's there. It's documented. I'm not making it up for sermon illustration purposes. As we wrap this up, I know that a lot of parents and grandparents are living in difficult home situations right now. And some of you here may be that way as well. You might even be thinking, man, I've already blown it. You talk about letting God build my house and Letting, guard, letting God guard my house and fearing the Lord, walking in his ways. I didn't teach my kids that. I, I, I've, already, I've already messed that up. 
or I did it and my children are, they don't share my faith. They're living some other kind of crazy way. I want to end with two ideas. First of all, if your children aren't living according to God's ways, in spite of the way you raised them, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Isaiah, chapter 55. Verse 10 for context. Isaiah 55, verse 10. As For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there but the water, and bring it back forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Watch verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Y'all, if you've taught your children God's ways, and you've taught your children what's pleasing to God, I am convinced that God's word is not going to come back void. Sometimes we think our kids just don't hear, they just don't listen. I believe if we continue to pray to our children, if we continue to love our children, if we continue to say, you know, you the way you're, you want to know why so many things keep happening that's not good, it may just be the lifestyle you're living. Y'all keep praying for your kids. Keep praying for your grandkids because it's never too late until they take their last breath. I've got a preacher friend who said that growing up, he heard stories about his grandfather that were just horrible. The grandfather said he told his dad, when his dad was small, they'd be sitting on the porch and a, one of the neighborhood boys would be walking down the road and the grandfather told the father, boy, go out there and whip that kid. And if you don't go whip that kid, I'm going to go whip that kid. And if you go out there and that kid whips you, I'm going to whip you for getting whipped. And he said, my dad did that. He said his grandfather beat his mother, was just considered an old, hateful, honorary guy. And my preacher friend said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. He said, because my grandfather, to me, was the most godly man I ever met. Because you don't know what happened to the grandfather. The, grand, the, the, the grandfather found Jesus. And Jesus turned his life around. Our children might be living a lifestyle that, we, that, that God doesn't approve of. Don't give up on them. Keep on praying for your kids. Keep on praying for your grandkids. Church, pray for all our kids and grandkids. Pray for us as fathers and grandfathers that we will let God build our house. That we will have strength. That we will let guard our, God guard our house. And can I tell you that it's never too late to start over? You say, well, I've already blown it. I've already messed up. You can't change the past. What's done in the past is the past. If you made mistakes, admit it. Say, you know, I, I messed up. If you can and you have opportunity and you're able, go to your kids and say, kids, I'm sorry for what I did. I said I wasn't doing this in God's way. I did it in my way. 
I messed up, please forgive me. And start from this day forward. Let God build your house. Let God guard your house. Fear God. Walk in His way. Show those grandkids a godly example. Show those grown kids of yours a godly example. The two things you can do for your ungodly children, number one is pray for them. Number two is show them an example. Always let your kids know you love them. I don't care how far gone, how far out they are. They need to know you love them. They also need to know when they're living contrary to the way God wants them to live that God wants them to come home. And that's a terrific thing about our God is the fact that we can always come home. And I'm going to end our Father's Day sermon with an invitation. And that's an invitation to come home. If you've never trusted Jesus before as your Lord and Savior, understand you're a sinner. We all are. Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe Jesus Christ came and died on that cross. I believe he prayed, paid the price for my sin. I gave him my sin. He gave me his righteousness. Father, save me. I trust Jesus with my soul. I trust Jesus with my life. And if you've done that, acknowledge that maybe you haven't walked in God's ways. Maybe you haven't feared God in the way that you should. You can't change the past. But you can certainly change the future. And it starts in the present.